The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. So I'm delighted to welcome uh, Amar Anspal, CEO at Bright Machines, to uh, this week's episode. Now, Bright Machines recently closed a whopping $179 million Series A, and they are, according to uh, CRN, they are one of the 10 hottest startups in the world. So, uh, Amar, a very warm welcome. Thank you, Gary. It's great to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. Um, uh, really uh, looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Me too. So just to kick things off, how did you come up with the, the concept for Bright Machines? What was the uh, ideation uh, and how did you and your founding team come together? Yeah, so Bright Machines came out of uh, a happy collision of two sort of uh, ideas or streams of thought. Um, one, you know, I had been thinking um, when I was at Autodesk at my previous company, um, you know, we had been observing how the world of building software or digital products had dramatically changed over the last 25 years. Uh, but in parallel, the world of making physical things had not changed that dramatically. And, you know, just to sort of illustrate that point, you know, when you think about how uh, you would deploy software 25 years ago, um, you know, whether it was uh, putting bits on a CD or going to an IT organization and finding a deployment person and configuring servers, you know, 25 years later, because of a lot of innovation from companies like uh, Amazon Web Services or Docker and Artifactory and Jenkins. And, you know, companies like uh, Autodesk were able to build software as a service applications that we could update, you know, multiple times a day and deliver, you know, sort of continuous value to our customers. But if you look at the world of making physical goods, you know, that hadn't changed. If you're making a medical device, you know, you can't iterate or be that agile. Introducing products into a factory takes a lot of time. So I had been thinking about that problem is that how do you make making physical things as easy, as transparent, and as, uh, you know, agile as making, you know, making software products is today. So I've been thinking about that. And I would say in parallel, uh, my sort of a couple of my co-founders, one of whom was at Flex and the other one was at a venture capital firm, had been thinking about the fact that labor was becoming increasingly hard to find to meet the, the growing level of demand that you know, today products, uh, you know, like there's more and more people joining the middle class, everybody wants cell phones, there's more network traffic and security appliances. There's simply not enough people to build all those products anymore. And so they've been thinking about how do you take all the advances in robotics, in computer vision, and sort of solve this labor problem that they were seeing, uh, you know, for the amount of products that need to be built. And 
as you know, Gary, now you have automotive products uh, that are increasingly, cars are increasingly starting to look like data centers and <laughs> less like, uh, you know, uh, the old internal combustion engine. So they've been thinking about, hey, how do we, how do we make all of these things uh, possible to build and increase capacity without having to increase the number of people that we have to go find? And it was a collision of those two ideas because if you take that thing that I've been thinking about, how do you make making physical products easier, more agile, uh, more visible and transparent to build, and you take the idea of like, how do you solve the labor problem? The answer to both of those turned out to be applying uh, a set of software logic to manufacturing. And that's kind of where Bright Machines came out is that that's, uh, that we 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 combine those two ideas, and now the company is pursuing, you know, uh, that mission. Cool. Where did that collision of ideas happen? How did you and your co-founders come across each other? Well, I had a a, a connection in the industry at a uh, let's say a consulting firm who knew Lior Susan, who was the uh, like so I would say the founding partner of. Eclipse Venture Capital, and we had been thinking about the, you know, how do you bring automation to solve the labor problem? So they made a mutual introduction. Lior and I met for lunch in, uh, I would say, February or January or February of 2018. And uh, we had this sort of exchange of ideas. And then he connected me to uh, Zahi Rodrig, uh, who was the president of manufacturing at Flex who had been living this uh, thing of like, I don't have enough people firsthand because he was managing 140,000 people in factories all over the world and was simply running out of the ability to find more people. Huh. And, you know, the three of us started talking around February and that's kind of where, you know, Lior was starting to fund the idea and Zai was putting together the one side of the team, the people who knew the manufacturing problem and then I joined uh, and joined them in this mission and started building up the, you know, the rest of the organization, which is the software side and the go-to-market side. Now, when we last spoke, you mentioned you'd incubated a number of companies at Autodesk prior yes. to founding Bright Machines. So yes. I'd love to hear a little about your experiences incubating businesses right. and, and how that differs, how the challenges of building an independent business versus an incubated business differ? Yeah, so it's a good question, Gary. So at, at Autodesk, um, you know, we regularly invested in technology innovation. And, you know, when we were able to find promising technology, we tried to build businesses around them. And some of these businesses were incubated from scratch within the organization others were companies we found out in the sort of the real world and acquired and then tried to nurture and feed and turn into real businesses and you know i think uh, large companies um one of the benefits of a large company is you're able to bring i say especially in the case of uh, of a company like autodesk uh, the global footprint and a brand, a credible brand. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a couple of concrete examples here is that probably the 
set of businesses, there were two sets of businesses that I, uh, I really pushed for uh, at, at, at Autodesk. And, you know, the, 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 the fundamentals of that was, it, it, Autodesk was founded in 1982 on the back of the PC emerging as a viable business platform. And, you know, Autodesk grew up and displaced existing CAD companies by writing sort of a combination of the, the growing technical capabilities of a PC, as well as a new, I would say business model, which was based on distribution and resellers, on licensed software, on maintenance and subscription. And, you know, Autodesk grew that uh, business uh, it's, it, and it became, a, you know, today it's a two, almost $3 billion company in terms of uh, revenue uh, and much more in terms of market cap by riding that disruption. And around 2004, five, you know, we had started noticing that the web had become a reasonable technology platform. It reminded us very much of the days of when CAD was finally possible on a PC. We started thinking, well, engineering applications can be done on the web and you know, we started looking at like what engineering applications could be built on the web. And then from there, you know, what would the business model for that be, which was, you know, turned out to be a SaaS business model and, and felt that that, again, the combination of a platform disruption and a business model change could lead to very large opportunities. And in our case, I think one of the things we talked about was where could we expand into, not just take, you know, hey, listen, we build applications for architects on PCs. Now we'll build applications for architects on the web. We started looking at where we could go to that we weren't able to go to before. And that turned out to be construction in particular. Um, and, and then 3D printing became another sort of uh, disruptive opportunity that we were able to look at. So that's where we started incubating businesses like the way I, de I described and when you put together these incubated businesses you kind of try and find a early team of about seven to twelve people where you have certainly you know skilled engineering people you have a one or two business people and one or two sort of ui people um, that could come together and take an idea and uh, try and translate it into a product. And then if the products find some early customers, you can try and turn it into a business by putting sales and more infrastructure around it to scale it. And what I would say Gary is that in large companies, the thing I learned was that it was relatively easy to start a business because you know you have a lot of resources you have I had 3,000 people in the product development team, so to find 10 guys to go do something anywhere in the world was always easy. And we had a balance sheet of like, you know, one and a half billion dollars on the, and so to go and acquire a company to go do something uh, that you thought was interesting was relatively easy. So, you know, we spun up maybe 15, 20 projects looking at various aspects of construction, some at the front, some at the back, some at the middle, and so we were able to do it. But the thing you realize in a large company is one, 
The challenge is it's very hard to kill a project because once a customer of yours tries a product of yours, they kind of expect the large company to keep it around. So it became harder to kill projects. Um, and so you end up with this sort of, the, you don't experiment, you can't really experiment easily unless you masquerade or you kind of try and hide your identity. Um, and the other thing was in a large company, you are always dealing with the law of large numbers. You know, um, it, you, you say that, you know, Autodesk is a $3 billion company. A business has to be 100 to 150 million for it to be material. And it takes a long time for young businesses to get to that scale. And along the way, you know, it's fighting for resources with like 40 other projects in the company ranging from other products to you know sales needs to go to a new country or you know marketing needs to go uh, do a better job of lead generation to it needs to deploy new infrastructure so i think a challenge in large companies becomes how do you spot the promising businesses kill the non performing non-promising businesses early before you get customer and sort of sticking on to it <laughs> and talent becomes another issue because there is something about the kinds of people who think disruptively and think orthogonally to uh you know to, to the way the existing stream runs they tend not to work for large companies you know elon musk built tesla he didn't come out of a car company amazon you know jeff bezos built amazon he came didn't come out of a retail company and these those examples exist for a reason because these guys can connect the dots in a very different way than someone who's been inside an establishment for you know 20 years and so that becomes a challenge of incubating businesses in a large company it's not impossible we were successful um especially with construction but it's hard how of um, those 15 or so businesses amar how many or 15 or so projects how many went on to be truly successful product lines or even bus business units i'd say i you know but i would give us like 30 percent of those so i think when you look at autodesk today there is a business line called BIM 360, which is the construction product line. And that is a combination of a couple of in-house projects and about five acquisitions that we made when I, when I was there. And I think since then, the company has made a, a couple more. Um, and, and that I would point to as a, as a very, you know, it's become a very large and successful business product line and uh, you know large opportunity for the company so <clears throat> i'd say that one is a good example of something successful there was another business that we another set of technologies that we started uh, it didn't turn into a business but it turned into a really important piece of technology for the company and that has to do with the what Autodesk calls forge which is its um, platform now for application development on the on the web 
<coughs> excuse me. So I'd say that's a second example. So between those two, I'd say it was five or seven businesses that we started turned into something. Sure. Now, switching back to Bright Machines, how does the profile of the team, the early team that you've been building, particularly in terms of mindset and character, how does that differ to the kind of talent you you hired or, or seconded in uh, at Autodesk? So I think, you know, those, the key skill set in a large company is to manage interdependencies and influence without authority, because that tends to be in a large company to succeed. The skill set you acquire is how do you align people's agendas with you and how do you make sure that they follow through on the commitments they make? And that tends to be, you know, uh, the kind of person you bring in and, and they tend to succeed. In bright machines, you kind of need the, you need this, it's not that influence doesn't matter and stuff like that, but you, you want people who are missionaries. In some ways, they have this strong belief in the idea that you, that you came up with and are very, very comfortable in ambiguous situations, which in large companies, people are not. In large companies, you know, look, you know, we need to deliver this much revenue, that much profit. You need to have much more certainty in a large company. In a small company like Bright Machines, you need people who believe in the end, uh, like you know where you're going to eventually land, but are very comfortable sort of saying, hey, the route to getting there, we will figure out uh, as we go, go up the, you know, it's like almost like if you're trying to scale a mountain, most people to scale up the side of the mountain don't, they have a general idea of how they're going to go up the mountain, what general path they're going to take, but they're very com comfortable with a, you know, a, a, a slightly interesting word given the hazards of climbing a mountain, but they're very willing to adjust on the realities that they face as they go up the mountain uh, mountainside. And so you need people who are comfortable with risk, with ambiguity, but who never waver from the purpose of the company. Um, and some people who are very, uh, who are really drawn to, I would say almost like hard problems and inventing things that don't exist. So the, definitely the engineering team that we've built is, uh, you know, they, they've never worked on some of the problems that we're trying to uh, go off and, uh, and tackle right now, but they're very attracted to it. The sales team has a big number on their head. And they've never talked to these kinds of customers before, but they're very they're excited about doing it. So you kind of end up with that that set of personalities, and you select for that. You do not select for people who need structure, certainty, uh, who are good sort of you know people who who thrive on. Listen, I need a first thing I'm going to do is hire another six managers. You need people who are you know will wear six hats, who will do things themselves. You know, write code sell they don't need you know people underneath them to do that they they start to do it themselves you know so that's the kind of person you look for and that's what we look for in bright machines sure so you've been hiring missionaries and mountaineers i like uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. i like that that vision of of the kind of people you've been hiring <laughs> now you raised an enormous funding round um and this is your 
first startup yes. and yet you pulled together not far off 200 million dollars for your series a so what's the secret behind your fundraising success and i don't know if i have a secret i mean i think what our investors responded to was the uh size of the opportunity first which is if you look at manufacturing it's a massive industry seven trillion dollars in gdp huge labor component it's almost 40 to 50 percent of the you know the labor component and you start to look at what automation can do in terms of augmenting you know the human uh, performance uh, in, in manufacturing so you, you do the math and you say look this is an industry or an opportunity that's somewhere between 60 and 100 billion dollars in terms of uh, you know available market there's not that many existing companies going after that so you say large market no one's really gone after it and then they like the team that we were putting together and then finally you know they responded to the aggressive business plan that we have in terms of sort of the results that we will generate and the relationship frankly that we have with uh, uh, at least one uh, key customer to begin with which is uh, flex and sort of the ability for us not only to uh, you know have them as a customer but to have a relationship with them that lets us learn firsthand so i think there was a lot of boxes that got checked in in that process and that's kind of what led to uh, i think the valuation and the conviction of the investors that came through and look i'd also give a lot of credit to uh Lior susan the guy from eclipse who was the first believer in this idea you know he was someone who was quite instrumental in putting his money where his mouth is as well as getting other people to see what he saw sure having a a, a lead investor um yes high servers along makes makes a big big difference hey, you you referenced your hugely ambitious um plans your aggressive business plan um so what are your aspirations for bright machines where do you see the business in say 2021 2022 i mean i'd answer that question in two ways you know one i think is a sort of a um who do we want to be when we grow up and the other is sort of the you know the financial aspect of what people who back us want us to be um and in fact the second question is uh second part of that question is easier to answer because our investors want us to be a public company in that time frame so you know our our financial performance has to reflect the characteristics of a public company which is a uh a certain growth rate, a certain profit profile, uh, a certain revenue base in five years. And so you'd be thinking of the, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, revenue and uh, it's certainly profitable in that time frame. So growing at a, you know, a, a high clip. And so if we are, as we deliver that, we will be able to realize that part of our mission. But, you know, for me, back to sort of being missionaries in, in, in pursuing this, I would say we want to transform manufacturing. So in five years time, you know, and I'm not comparing ourselves to 
you know, I don't have the arrogance to say, look, I want to be an Airbnb or an Uber because that those companies have a certain connotation about having, you know, had a huge impact on those industries. But I do want to have the sort of the before and after, like manufacturing was one way before companies like us showed up and now it has changed. So I really do want to feel like we contributed in that time frame to transforming manufacturing. I would of course like us to be the company associated with the transformation of manufacturing. Um, and so when people point to and say, hey, listen, the guys who are changing the way the factories are, are, are built and run and products are built and made, that's bright machines. That's what I would like to be in that time frame. So that's the second part of the answer. <laughs> A true disruptor. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Now, as, as the CEO of such an exciting, ambitious, fast-growing business, how do you find the time to chill and relax? <laughs> Don't find time to chill and relax. I would oh. say, look, uh, we all try to find balance in our lives. For me, having time with my family is, uh, is something that, helps me uh, do that. And uh, I kind of keep trying to do simple things with them, uh, whether it's uh, cooking in the evenings or uh, going out for walks on the weekends and, you know, try, try and do that. And like for my son, when he plays a, a game of basketball, I try very hard to be there for every one of his games. And so, and those things kind of help me chill and, and relax. Um, I do, whenever I travel, um, I take the, you know, a lot of people do email on flights. I tend to use my flights as my reading time uh, because it actually, you know, it is the time I'm, I'm learning. And that also is a, I feel like it relaxes me when I'm starting to look at uh, or learn from other people's ideas. And that's, that's a helpful thing for me to do. Um, and then, uh, you know, I have a couple of things that I, I, I enjoy personally doing. Uh, I like playing tennis. Um, so I have a regular thing on the weekends with uh, a group of people on both Saturdays and Sundays. And that helps me, um, helps me relax. And uh, I am a fan of the Golden State Warriors and the Indian cricket team. So we know that sports <laughs> uh, event is on, I watch. So it's a bunch of simple things. I think I've learned over the years that trying to do something very dramatic and big is hard when you have a job that is all consuming. Um, but you do do small things on a regular basis and you draw the line at times around like, you know, there are sacred things like, you know, like I said, when I go to my son's basketball games or, you know, when I play tennis on the weekends that you kind of like say, look, I'm going to prioritize those kinds of things. And it kind of lets you balance things out in your life a bit. <laughs> I've had several years following my son around playing hockey and tennis, so I can uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> empathize with those uh, passions and priorities. Uh, you mentioned um, reading, learning from other people's ideas. Who's inspired you to be who you are? I, and so I'd say uh, one person gave me this advice, you know, I used to look for a mentor once upon a time. And I think that I learned over the years that you tend not to find everything in a single person, 
um, you tend to find, you, you know, that you like 60% of this person, 30% of that person, 5%. So you kind of learn over the years. And I've been fortunate that I've ended up working for some really uh, good CEOs, uh, Carl Bass, um, and then uh, Carol Bartz uh, before, before him. And, you know, I learned different things from, from each of them. Um, I have met, met some very uh, smart people in Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, other CEOs of other companies and, and also pretty senior investors in uh, some VC firms and private equity firms. And they've kind of given me good perspective. So I, I'd say that's been um, a, a really great source for me to, uh, to learn from. And then and it comes down to sort of books. Uh, over the years, there have been two or three things that have really stuck with me. You know, and some of them sound very cliched, but many, many years ago, like I would remember in 1991 or two, I read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it started, you know, I don't know if I manage any of the seven things, but <laughs> it started getting me to think about how I approached my daily life differently. Um, I read, you know, some articles in Harvard Business Review, in, including one that, you know, there's this famous thing, question that somebody had posed to a company that says, you know, are you in railroad or are you in the transportation business? So it starts getting you to think about business in a more general way. I think that one always stuck with me. Um, and then I, you know, I tend to read a bunch of nonfiction along the way. And that's my preferred reading is that I read a biography of Winston Churchill or Leonardo da Vinci or, you know, the, the, um, uh, the, the, mem the memoirs of uh, Phil Knight from Nike or uh, Patty McCord from Netflix and the, you know, the, the story about how Jeff Bezos started Amazon. And there's always a little, little thing everywhere that kind of sticks with me. And then the last thing I would just share with your listeners is that one place I have found a lot of sort of inspiration in uh, how you run businesses is really watching how great managers of sports teams run and you know, get the best out of their, their players. And so, you know, Alex Ferguson at Man Manchester United or, you know, uh, there's John Wooden who ran the UCLA basketball team. Uh, you know, when you read about those guys, it, it's, it's a different way to think about sort of how you approach, uh, because the role of a CEO many times is not that different from a, a coach like Alex Ferguson. It's like you, you, you want to hire great players and you want them to do great work, but you want to give them the structure, the inspiration and uh, maybe the process by which their greatness comes out. And so I'll always learn a lot by reading, you know, sports uh, biographies. So you're more of a fan of the, uh, of the uh, Alex Ferguson Alex style Ferguson. than the uh, Jose Mourinho style of leadership. <laughs> I need I need to read a little bit more about Jose, but yeah, I, I like what I read about Alex. You know. <laughs> well, on that rather topical um, subject, we'll uh, we'll wrap up. It's been fun chatting to you on uh, what is effectively the uh, Christmas edition of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Thank you so much for joining me today. Some great insights. And I'd like to wish you and the team at Bright Machines 
phenomenal success in 2019 and beyond. Thank you, Gary. It's very kind of you. Look forward. Uh, thank you again for the, the opportunity to speak with you. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and yours as well. <laughs> thank you so much. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.